Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. An interesting day within the market trade as we kind of continue to see that mixed to uh, feel. Obviously, we saw some lower numbers in the wheat complex, higher on the corn and the beans. Flipping the page, it wasn't too bad. We saw some definite greed on the screen on the livestock side of it. But more importantly, we're going to kind of take a look at the dynamics of what has been seen in these markets from the open interest to the volume to who's doing the trading. Is it humans? Is it computers? We're going to get all the details today with Arlen Suderman. Arlen is with Stonex. So let's start out talking about the dynamics of these markets because there's a lot of facets that have moving parts to continue what we see every day. Yeah, there really is. And we go back to the origin of these markets where producers and end users came together in the same room to determine what a fair value was for grain. Not only grain that would be transferred ownership today, but that would be transferred ownership a month from now or two months from now or three months from now. And that's how the futures market began. And then they had the trading pits that were built and it it became a very dynamic way for the world to set prices Uh, in the Chicago markets, the Kansas City markets, Minneapolis market, et cetera. And that has dramatically changed. Those pits are basically closed now and uh, trading is electronic. Um, And not just electronic, but the overwhelming majority is is orders put in by computers and so there's billions of dollars behind those computers that some of them are are created to read headlines um some of them are created to read technical signals on the charts and when momentum switches in one direction or the other to add orders in that direction to amplify that move, et cetera, and to take advantage of those moves. So there's various different kinds of computers, and we kind of throw them all together and kind of call them algo traders, although there's actually different names for different segments of them. But one of the things is we've been watching these markets over the past month. They have become extremely volatile since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And so we have felt like that many of the traditional customers who trade these markets have stepped aside because of that volatility, leaving lower volume of trade, excuse me, lower open interest in trade, and therefore allowing these computers to really manipulate the markets from day to day a little bit more. Price is still a function of supply and demand, but it was, as you say, is modified by the flow of money. And right now, from day to day, that flow of money has been able to manipulate the market a lot easier and create these big price swings that we get that create so much frustration. So we took a look at the last week's worth of trade. And for for Chicago wheat, we saw that the volume of trades over the past week has been up about 60%. And for Kansas City, it's more than doubled. Uh, so then we looked at open interest, which, as I said, is kind of the number of trades that remain open from day to day because of people having legitimate positions in the market. And that has down, dropped significantly. And so it just kind of backed up. And we looked in and we looked at Chicago wheat, Kansas City wheat, Minneapolis wheat, Matif, which is the European wheat market. And then we looked at corn and soybean futures. And, and the same principle was seen there as well. And that kind of surprised us because we knew in wheat. We didn't think of so much in corn and soybeans, but the same thing is true there as well. Now, we talk about the inflation play. That's largely the index funds uh, adding uh, ownership of the commodities um, as a uh, hedge against inflation in their portfolio. 
and we're seeing that their ownership of Chicago wheat is multiples of what the actual size of the crop is each year. And in corn and soybeans, a significant portion is of it as well, um, not more than what we produce, but it's a large portion of what we produce each year. I think in corn, the index funds hold over 2 billion bushels in soybeans. I believe it's a little over a billion bushels for the index funds. So a lot of factors in here besides just a traditional producer and end user, and, and that's contributing to and that the index funds aren't as quick in and out, but uh, the algos in particular are contributing to this massive volatility we have that is so frustrating. And, and when the market is up big one day, like wheat being up 50, 60 cents and down the same the next day, people ask, what are the fundamental reasons? And sometimes there is no fundamental reason because like today, since we couldn't push out the top of the range yesterday, today they were sellers, taking us down double digits in the Chicago market. Um, and that's what it comes down to a lot of simply these algo traders. And and like it or not, the, these algo, algorithm traders are going to be here to stay. They really are. They're making a tremendous amount of money for the CME group, that's for sure. And so I don't think we're going to see that change anytime soon. And so we have to learn to work within the system now. Hopefully, uh, we'll get to a point we'd love to see the Ukraine war end for the sake of the Ukrainians. Um, and things will stabilize a bit. We'll see more traditional volume come into the market. And that'll stabilize things somewhat. Um, but overall, I think the rules that have been created over the recent years have really helped cr- uh, facilitate um, this volatility in situations like this. You had a tweet that somebody uh, asked you to, t- to make a comment on. And since we're talking Ukraine, and we'll finish it on the back half, but impact of the war in Ukraine, uh, your comment about the fog of war yields conflicting stories. Kind of talk about that. Has it- the market kind of forgot what's going on? Well, I, I think it's it's not as, it's become desensitized because it's so hard to know, and we'll talk some more about it, as you said, in the next segment. But uh, there's so many different conflicting stories. How do you know? And that's when we really lean on our boots on the ground, our people from Ukraine, and what they're telling us to try to get some sound analysis so we know going forward how it's going to play out. All right. Well, stick around, folks. We're going to talk more about what's going on in Ukraine, the effects it's going to see on our markets, and we'll also take a look at the happenings of the livestock side as well. More is coming up. This is the Wednesday version of the Fontenelle Final Bell right here on the Rural Radio Network. We're back with another Fontenelle feature. I'm Joe Gangwish of Fontenelle Hybrids visiting with dealer Norm Brueger in the Albion area. Norm, tell us about one of the positive aspects that you enjoy most about working with Fontenelle. I feel that uh, the Fontenelle seed uh, is very consistent year in and year out. You know, the weather in Nebraska, we got late plant, we've got drought, we've got insect pressure, and Fontenelle seems to be steady. We're always kind of rolled right through all of those weather conditions and uh, anything Mother Nature throws, it it seems to uh, withstand the conditions that we plant in very, very well. They are wonderful to work with uh, Fontenelle people. We've had excellent district sales managers and return customers. Uh, They come back. They are satisfied. It's a real joy working with Fontenelle people. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can certainly contact Norm Brueger in the Albion area, any one of your local Fontenelle dealers, or you can find us on Facebook or by going to Fontenelle.com. Holman and Holrich. 
Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. We're continuing the conversation this afternoon with Arlen Suderman. Of course, Arlen is with Stonex. And we left off at the break. Um, you got tagged in a comment. There's this thread that was going on about what's happening in the markets with Ukraine. And you really talk about this can-do attitude. But there's a lot of things that are still being factored in from ports to, to harvest to planting that are really going to be up in the air. There really is. And and I think even within Ukraine, you get different flows of information. And I think that it's hard to communicate from one area of Ukraine to another. Uh, Generally, we're hearing it from our boots on the ground that most of the ports have some degree of damage. Now, some of them may be very little damage. Uh, The Russians are, for example, uh, uh, there's one port uh, on the far western side of Ukraine's shore with the Black Sea, and all of a sudden the name escapes me, that Russia has been trying to take but has been unsuccessful so far to get there to the port. Um, And I don't think there's much damage there. But the rest of the ports, a lot of them they're using to land troops and stuff, and plus they've done some some of their own uh, destructive um, strikes on them as well. So varying degrees of damage. Uh, a lot of the infrastructure, roads, bridges, etc. cetera. Uh, I did see one analysis over the past week, I think it was a week ago, that did a detailed breakdown of how much of the arable crop ground could not be planted this year because either A, it was occupied by Russian troops, B, it had unexploded landmines on it, uh, or C, had other problems with it, damaged equipment, you know, so it couldn't be farmed or whatever. And that came to about 34% of the farm ground, and we anticipate that that number, unfortunately, is probably going to go higher. So then it comes down to what about the other two-thirds of the farm ground as far as its ability. Uh, This report went on to talk about the problems of farmers who are at the war effort, the fuel that's at the war effort, the lack of availability of seed, of chemicals, of fuel. Um, A lot of farm equipment has been specifically targeted by the Russians for destruction. So a lot of problems with that. But yet we've really seen, and one of the reasons the Russians have struggled so much to exert their dominance over Ukraine is because Ukrainians have that can-do attitude. They've been fighting hard uh, for the freedom that they value so much. And so they have that can-do attitude, and that's translating over into how they answer questions about, will you plant a crop this year? And, and they're determined that they're going to try to do so. We're just not that optimistic that that's going to be possible. And so, you know, a couple of weeks ago, the answer was, well, acreage will be at 60% of normal. And we felt like as the longer it goes, the lower that number is going to come down to reality. And now the number coming out of Ukraine today is, well, 50% uh, will be planted. Uh, And we anticipate that each week that goes by, that number is going to go down. And uh, we think maybe by the middle of April, it'll be very little be planted for the purpose of exporting. What does get planted will be primarily for domestic consumption. There will be some exports coming out of Ukraine because that's how they generate the cash they need for survival. Uh, But it's going to be very little. And in fact, we're seeing even exports that are coming out of Russia dramatically smaller than normal. There are some going out of Russia um, because its ports are okay, but it's more difficult to do business on with in the world market. 
for them because of sanctions. And so volumes are down significantly as well. And their economy is shambles, making it difficult to produce, too. Um, so overall, we still have the mass shortages. All right. As we look at the flip pages here, quick to the livestock side, is there a little bit of hardball action going on, as, as one commodity person put it, with these packers and the cash cattle? Well, you could say that, or you could say that all along for the past year plus that they've simply been paying what they choose to pay because uh, the packer constraints. And we have got the slaughter numbers up to pre-COVID levels at around 125,000 head per day, not every day, but uh, an increasing number of days. So that has helped. Um, but overall, this is a market that's also seen its weights go up. And that means holding on to cattle longer. And with these high feed prices, that's where you get your least efficient gain. So we also have some people willing to let go of cattle a little bit sooner. Maybe that's increasing the supply in their term as well. But with the advent of, of uh, barbecue season now coming on, the trend tends to be higher from this point forward for demand for the products. We are seeing some evidence, though, of more of an increase in the lower end cuts than the higher end cuts. That may be evidence that the consumer is starting to value down as inflation has taken prices higher focusing more on hamburger than on steaks all right lots of great things we talked about today arlen best way for folks to get a hold of you stonex.com or over on twitter my handle is arlen ff101 a-r-l-a-n ff101 and that has been today's fontanelle final bell just a reminder commodity futures and options do involve a substantial risk of loss that aren't suitable for all investors that's the fontanelle final bell being brought to you by fontanelle hybrids and all your local dealers on the rural radio network